Hello, and welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Would you join me in prayer? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come now and work powerfully in our hearts, that whatever we've misunderstood would become clear, whatever has been clear, we would put into practice in our lives, especially that we would understand what it means to truly believe that we are saved by faith alone and grace alone, in spite of how our souls often fight that. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I can still remember my first trip to Disneyland. Anybody else remember their first trip to Disneyland? I think I was about six, so it was a long time ago. And uh, my, it was my dad, my mom, my three older sisters, and me. Uh, we arrived, parked, and headed toward one of those booths where you buy your entrance. Now, my dad, my dad took out a bunch of money uh, and paid for us all. At the time, I didn't realize how much of my dad's income that represented. We probably couldn't afford it. But I was just so excited to have my first time at Disneyland. Now, I remember seeing Sleeping Beauty Castle. Any of you remember Sleeping Beauty Castle? And uh, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, that was exciting. Uh, I, going through the caves on Tom Sawyer's Island. I remember when I was on that boat that goes through the big whale's mouth from Pinocchio. That, that, that kind of felt boring. Um, <laughs> but, but I was especially excited about the Autopia. That's the one where you get to drive a tiny car, a real tiny car. I've been watching adults drive my entire life, and now I was going to get to drive a real car. Now, you can't actually get off. It's on a track. You can't actually crash it or anything. But if the guy in front of you stops, you can ram into him, and that's, that's what you hope for. Um, I was so excited. And when I got to the front, they had this sign with a line on it, and you had to be taller than the line, and I was too short. I literally didn't measure up. <laughs> so I didn't get to drive a car by myself. I got to sit next to my mom as she drove. She let me steer a couple times, but she wouldn't run into anybody in front of her. She'd stop if they stopped. It was very disappointing. <laughs> but then I went on the Matterhorn, which was my favorite ride of the day. And all in all, for a six-year-old, it was a remarkable day filled with wonders. You remember Disneyland's motto? The happiest place on earth. And for me that day, it was certainly the happiest place on earth. Now, I want to use that today as a metaphor because the truly happiest place of all is heaven. And so we're going to use my Disneyland experience and relate it to that. My hope is that in the future, you can remind yourself of what it truly means to enter God's kingdom completely by grace, by, through faith, by thinking of going to Disneyland. I would like for you to read out loud with me the text we're going to put on screen, which is our text for today, at least the first half of it. All right, let's read this together. For grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Just a technical difficulty. We're going to put up the first half on the screen, we're not, and that's the half we're really going to focus on today. We'll get to the second half another time. Um, 
we are saved, it says here, by grace through faith. And what Martin Luther emphasized in the Reformation and what all Protestants have emphasized since then is it's by faith alone, by grace alone. It is the gift of God. No one can do good works that earn any part of it. None of us can boast about being saved. We were saved. We did not save or rescue ourselves. Now here's another metaphor for today. We're like someone who cannot swim, who's in a rushing, overflowing river that's headed toward this thousand foot high uh, waterfall. And we've already, we can't swim. We've already struggled. We've already gulped down a bunch of water and we've passed out. And now we're just floating toward the waterfall. And Jesus jumps in, grabs us, rescues us, brings us out on the shore, does CPR and mouth to mouth and revives us. Okay, can you lock that metaphor in too? We don't rescue ourselves in a case like that, do we? We don't do anything to help rescue ourselves. All the glory, all the honor, all the credit goes to God alone. None of us could have earned any part of our rescue in a river like that, of our forgiveness, of our justification before God with his just requirements of our salvation. Now, when my dad was paying for our Disneyland tickets, did I pay for part of it? Did I pay for all of it? No, I didn't pay. It was a gift. It was completely free. I didn't do, I didn't do anything. Now, back then, would it have been possible for a six-year-old to pay for his own ticket to get into Disneyland? Well, it might have been theoretically possible. I didn't know of anybody who did that, but it might be theoretically possible. Is it theoretically possible for a man or a woman to earn their salvation? Well, don't misunderstand me. There's a sense in which it's theoretically possible, but no one will. Let me read to you from Romans 2. We'll put it on screen. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law, the Jewish people had the law of Moses, the Gentiles didn't, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day, that's the day of judgment, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So they, they show that the law is written on their hearts, Paul writes. Now in chapter 1 of John's gospel, we're told the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. The true light was Jesus, but it's saying that everybody has some kind of a light inside of them. What C.S. Lewis would say is that Everybody, wherever they are, they, have, they just know that right and wrong exist. That there are some things that are good and some things that, that are bad. Now, if God doesn't tell us specifically what those are, then we kind of make them up. And so every culture down through history has figured out what they're going to believe is right and wrong. The Jewish culture had a big advantage because they had God's written code, which told them how to love him well and how to love people well. But most cultures end up kind of developing some moral code. And some of it will align with God's character and some of it will not. In some cultures, people believed it was good to serve their neighbor lunch. In other cultures, some people believed it was good to serve their neighbor for lunch. (laughs) We don't know unless we're given specific instructions by God. But if someone were able to figure out God's love, how to, God's law, how to love God well and love people well, and then live according to that, not merely externally, 
but with the law written on their hearts, really loving from the inside, then they would be able to earn their own way into God's presence, into heaven. Well, how good would they have to be? Well, Jesus, when he is, ta- when he is explaining what the law requires in the Sermon on the Mount, he says things like, but I say to you, if anyone is angry with his brother, he is liable to the judgment. So you can never be angry. Whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. No lust. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Turn to them the other also. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then at the end of all that, Jesus said, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Theoretically, it was possible for a six-year-old to purchase his own ticket to Disneyland. Theoretically, it is possible for someone to love God and people perfectly inside and out. But out of over seven billion people who have lived on this planet, no one has. And according to God, no one ever will. In Romans 3.23, God tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now I'm going to read a longer text to you, the magnificent context of that verse. So try to, try to grab the different phrases as they come through. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now there's a reason why we're, gonna, we're looking at lots of scripture today. Faith alone and grace alone are clearly taught in the New Testament. They're taught by the apostles who were inspired by the Holy Spirit and authoritatively clarified exactly what the gospel, the good news is. We're in a series on the Reformation in which many of those things became celebrated and clarified. We are celebrating 500 years since what's considered the beginning of the Reformation next month. Started in 1517, October 31st. The justification, how to be right with God, how to be uh, forgiven by God, is the heart of the Reformation. And today's text in Ephesians 2 that we read together a moment ago is a summary of the heart of the Reformation. But this passage in Romans is saying the same thing. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You can be made righteous, right, perfect, justified before God by faith, by believing in Jesus Christ. No one can earn it because all have sinned. It's a gift that Jesus paid for with His blood. Now when I was six and we were heading toward the booth where we bought the tickets and we're going through the parking lot. If I had bent down and picked up an old penny and given it to my dad and said, here, I want to help pay for the tickets, he probably would have smiled and said, thank you. But would it have been a significant contribution to the price of the tickets? No. Jesus used a different metaphor to try and impress the immensity of the sin that we've been forgiven. He said there was a kingdom where the king decided to settle accounts with his servants 
And he came to one servant, and the servant owed him 10,000 talents. Now, we're going to do the math on the screen. There's actually supposed to be three more zeros at the end of that, because it's supposed to be 19 billion. But it's about, today, the price is about 1,300 per ounce of gold. They were just short of a million pounds, or 14 million, 15 million ounces. It's about $20 billion. Now, Jesus often in his parables, he would include something that everybody knows nobody does that. In this case, everybody knows no, no king loans $20 billion to some servant. And everybody knows he can't pay it back. And so Jesus is trying to make a point. And the servant falls on his knees and begs the king to be patient, that he'll pay everything, and the king forgives him the debt. But he goes out from the king's presence, sees another servant who owes him just a few months' wages, grabs him by the neck, and when the servant falls on his knees and begs for more time, he has him thrown in prison. The king finds out, has the first guy, the unmerciful servant we call him, thrown into prison. And Jesus' point is that when you have been forgiven $20 billion worth of sins, you will forgive others who, who have done much less to you. But his point is also that our sins, the cost of admission into God's presence, into heaven, into being justified before God, is like a debt of $20 billion. Now, does a penny picked up off the parking lot help with that much? Is it significant? No. Now, later in this series, we're going to get to another concept that sounds really bad when I say it. Total depravity. And the point of total depravity, just kind of as a preview, is not that you never do anything that's any good at all, but that it's even in my best moments, even in your best moments, there's always something in our motives. Some, it, it's tainted. We can never offer anything completely pure that we do to God. It's like the penny I pick up off of the parking lot to help pay for the entrance. It isn't even a penny. It's counterfeit, it's impure, it's not just copper, it's iron or something. It's not even worth a penny. It can't really help. To offer impure, tainted works as partial payment for our sins kind of insults God. It diminishes the importance of the $20 billion worth of sins of the rescuing us from the raging river when we were unconscious heading for the waterfall. It diminishes the blood of Jesus on the cross. It diminishes the wrath of God that Jesus experienced in our place. You understand? It's all of grace. We can't earn any part of it. Why do we diminish it? Why do we insist that we want to pick up a counterfeit penny in the parking lot and think that perhaps it pays a significant part of our salvation. Well, we do that because our default position is legalism, earning our salvation by being good, by obeying some code of laws, some code of rules, what, Chris, what Scripture would call some kind of law. We really struggle to accept grace, to just let it be unearned, unmerited favor. Let me, let me see if I can help you see this in yourself. When was the last time you were disappointed with yourself? What was your self-talk like? Oh, I did that again. Oh, I'm such a loser. Now, perhaps you were disappointed with yourself because you gave in to some sin, maybe a sin you struggle with constantly, like bad-mouthing or some addiction or worry. But it might not even have been about sin. Perhaps you forgot to do something. 
or you just made a mistake, or you failed to perform something at the level you had hoped, maybe a, a test in school, or during an athletic competition, or at work. A few years ago, there were a bunch of suicides at the University of Pennsylvania. And when they looked into the, the causes, the official report said, the pressures engendered by the perception that one has to be perfect in every academic, co-curricular, and social endeavor can lead to stress, and in some cases, distress. It can manifest as demoralization, alienation, or conditions like anxiety or depression. And at that time, it was sometimes ending in suicide. See, in the Jewish culture that Jesus lived in, people knew they were supposed to keep the Mosaic law. They were supposed to love God with all their heart and love their neighbor as themselves, and no one obeyed it perfectly from the heart. Today, everyone I know is feeling pressure to perform, to make something of themselves, to become acceptable, to make a difference, to justify their existence. And for most of us, it's just another form of legalism that creeps into our lives because that is our default position. We want to earn something, to justify ourselves. The heart of the Reformation is justification through faith alone, by grace alone. That when it comes to our justification before God, Jesus has done it all. There's nothing left to do. We cannot earn it. We want to be proud of ourselves, so we revert to some kind of doing good or being good. And we all do that. I do it. You do it. Martin Luther even did it. He wrote a letter later to one of his friends in which he said, they try to do good of themselves in order that they might stand before God clothed in their own virtues and merits. But this is impossible. Among us, you were one who held to this opinion or rather error. So was I. And I'm still fighting against the error without having conquered it as yet. This is not a principle that you walk out of here today and go, okay, I got it. Grace alone. Faith alone. I'm good to go forever. No. You're going to have to look at this one. Jesus said you have to take up your cross daily and deny yourself because it's our self that doesn't want to be denied that wants to earn something. But you got to have some good, solid understanding that you can keep coming back to. Every time you start getting into that self-talk of, oh, I failed again. Oh, Yeah. You're saved by grace, by faith alone. Do you feel the pressure to perform some area of your life? It's part, partly there's the image of God in you that makes you want to help others to create, to make a difference, to do things that matter. But when our brokenness perverts that, then our pride convinces us that we must perform to be loved. That we have to do well or we're not valuable. Then unless we excel, we're doomed to mediocrity and disappointment in, our, in ourselves and in life. That's just not what God wants for you. God loves you right now. You are so valuable that Jesus came to earth while you were treating him like an enemy, it says in Romans 5. He came and he died for you. And as a completely free gift, he purchased for you not an entrance to Walt Disney's magic kingdom, but the entrance to God's kingdom. So that you can be part of the family of God. 
and where you'll never experience in the future, in the next life, you'll never experience mediocrity or disappointment, but awe and wonder. God's love and everyone else's love will just be showered and heaped upon you. You'll do interesting things. And when you're finally free of sin and you're completely healed, you'll have this amazing adventure with each other and with God on a new earth. And maybe, just maybe, the universe will be your playground. You can't earn that. You must believe God and receive what he offers. It's like he's holding out the ticket into his kingdom. Will you receive it? Will you enter as a completely free gift that you can do absolutely nothing to earn? Think about the last time you were beating yourself up. Are you weary of trying to perform? Trying to be good enough or earn some part of your salvation or being disappointed in yourself? Jesus said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to Jesus. Why would you delay? Why would you let your brokenness talk you into earning something? God doesn't want you to wait until you have improved, until you're better. He wants you to put your trust in him right now. He'll fill you with his spirit. He'll begin to change you after you turn your life over to him. He'll pour his love into your heart. He'll never leave you forsaken. You will never again be alone. He'll be there. And he will take away the burden of your sin. You can become completely certain that you are justified before God, completely forgiven and adopted into God's family by faith alone, by grace alone. Don't neglect so great a salvation. I think that perhaps today we need the Reformation more than they needed it 500 years ago. 500 years ago, everybody pretty much knew where they had messed up. Today, we have a lot of people that still haven't given up on earning their salvation. Not necessarily by doing what God says in the Bible, but by doing something. Succeeding or excelling. So many things. We need the Reformation. As we pray with Pastor Luke today, would you let go of trying to be good enough and earn your salvation? Put all your trust in Jesus. He has done everything that needs to be done, and he offers it to you as a free gift. And now, some parting words from Pastor Rick. If today, maybe for the first time, you understand why we say by faith alone, by grace alone, and you've made some kind of a significant choice right just on the other side of this wall is what we call our prayer wreath, and there'll be people there to pray with you. I highly recommend that you go and pray with them, tell them whatever decision or choice you've made. And maybe you're someone that just this has been kind of, you've been stuck in earning it and beating up on yourself for a while, and you've made some significant choices. They would love to pray with you as well. Would you receive God's Spirit? Now be filled with the Spirit of God that you may have all the power you need to love people well, but especially 
to feel God's love poured into your heart because he loves you just the way you are. You are more valuable than you can possibly know. You are more loved than you can possibly know. May God fill you with that understanding and sense this week. God bless you. Go in peace. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.